morning, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is that you are listening, folks. Thank you very, very much for listening. Today, today is the 18th of February, year of our Lord, 2022. Welcome to yet another edition of the Bunny Cardigan Show presented by The Athletic. I feel like I've botched this already. I think it's because I'm not joined by the on-again, off-again man who wears the cardigan, James Edwards III of The Athletic. That's right, folks. Uh, very sorry. Some scheduling issues. Well, kind of. Okay, so basically, let me just explain to you what happened. And if you heard that sound, it was the sound of like half of our listeners turning off because James not isn't here. I promise we're still going to talk about some stuff today, folks. So let me just explain what happened. So um, Sunday, like James said in his solo episode, um, I just had some scheduling things. I was uh, in Chicago. I wasn't able to uh, record the show. And I'm actually going to be on a plane uh, as the day that you're hearing this on Friday. I'm going to be on a plane uh, in the morning at like 8.15. I'm flying to Cleveland. Uh, for All-Star Weekend. So this Sunday, the day of the game, I'm going to be running around. I'm going to be doing a bunch of stuff um, with Buckets, uh, the you know the, the, the brand that I'm working for with Wave Sports and Entertainment, the company that I work for. And um, it, it, it's just I just wasn't going to be able to record the show. Um, so I said to James, I was like, well, okay, I don't want you to have to do another solo show. I was like, maybe we just put out another episode in the middle of the week. And then I was like, wait, no, it's actually hilarious if I just do a solo pod myself. And then the following Sunday, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming. I promise, folks, everything will be back. But I figured we should at least give you guys something because you guys are incredible. And honestly, just with that, again, I know I don't want to just keep rambling. Um, we'll get to some Pistons and some some other basketball stuff here in just a second. But I just want to say, like, some of the stuff that we're going to be doing this weekend um, at All-Star, um, I have spent a lot of time recently kind of like thinking about how this actually materialized and, and how we sort of got to this point. And I was thinking about, you know, the relationships that I've built that have enabled me to be in the position that I'm in. And James was was really the first person that I think – kind of allowed me to have the confidence to, to start doing some of the stuff that I wanted to do. And so um, the fact that he wanted to do this podcast with me, um, you know, and I know we just had our, our one year anniversary uh, like a month ago and we kind of already did the sentimental thing, but um, just because there's some pretty substantial changes happening in my life right now that aren't public yet, you guys will understand what's going on pretty soon um, by the end of the month, I'll say. Uh, I just want to say like genuinely, you know, you guys listening to this every single week, I don't. It, it's it's really difficult for me to articulate um, what that means to me and, and how much you've changed my life. Like, there's no. It's, I may sound kind of corny and like cliche, but like that's really the only way to frame it. Um, I'm a, in a fundamentally different position today than I was a year ago, um, and that's because of you guys and like specifically Pistons fans. I know it's not only Pistons fans that listen to this show. Um, but like specifically with Pistons fans, like if it wasn't for you guys, like we did it, we were, we're making it, we're finally doing this. Um, so let's jump into this. I haven't done a solo pod in like a year and a half back when I was doing Shoot the J. It was like almost like two years ago at this point, but it's really not that much going on. Going to be a little bit short of an episode, but I got some, got some thoughts. I got some takes that I kind of want to float out there. So if you'll just indulge me, let's do that. Namely, we, uh, we had the Boston uh, game to wrap up the pre-All-Star regular season 
for Detroit. A game, you go into it, Boston's won nine in a row. They have like a point differential of, I think, what, plus 236 over their over their last nine games. They're blowing everybody out of the water. Like, they're historically one of the most dominant, on, on one of the most dominant stretches that we've literally ever seen. I think it was the 70-71 Bucks that were better than them, and that was literally it. We saw them dismantle Philly. We saw them take apart Brooklyn. Like, this is just what they've been doing. So for a Detroit team to come in there who had lost a million games in a row and hadn't scored a lot of points and had defended well and had committed a lot of fouls and um you know let up a million threes in every single game and conversely we couldn't hit any to go into that game did it not feel like the quintessential embodiment of what we have come to know this Pistons team to be under Troy Weaver like that um going into a game that you have no business winning that's really the only way to put it and and actually putting on a show and it started with a guy like Jeremy Grant who somebody that we, for the last, well, there's really no reason to lie. Like, since the season has started, like, pretty much everybody's been down on him. The stock has been, like, pretty low. Nobody's wanted to watch Jeremy Grant on their basketball team. Admittedly, I've been a lot more patient with him. Um, And I think it just, a lot of it has to do with the, we haven't really talked about the why, I feel like. I I don't really know that that's been as much of a conversation with Jeremy Grant. It's like, why has this happened? Why is, why is he kind of in a slump this year? What's going on? I remember seeing somebody say that it's like Julius Randle. And is it, oh, is it because there's a bunch of fans in the arena now? And that's why he's not hitting shots. It's like, no, because I think the ability is still there. It's just plainly shots haven't been going in. Conversely, they were last night against Boston, all of them at all the time, everything that Jeremy Grant was putting up, everything was going in. You just have to wonder, like, is it as simple as just saying it's like the wear and tear of going through an entire NBA season in a calendar year, um, you know, going from the bubble where you're this tertiary option, you're what, you know, three through five, depending on the game in terms of the pecking order with your scoring to being the number one guy for, you know, however many games that he played last year. Um, On top of that, you know, dealing with the injury that he had earlier this year that took him out for what, six weeks. Like, is it just the wear and tear of letting your body adapt to it and getting beat up as much as he has because he is so isolation heavy. He is so contact heavy. Like, is it just catching up to him faster than maybe we thought that it was? And that's really all that this is. I mean, maybe, but I think that's also probably like some of you are probably mad at that. I think it's it's just me and my my optimism that Jeremy Grant is still the guy that we knew that he was last year. And, and the Boston game, I feel like, was was the best indication of that. Right. So as far as Jeremy's concerned, like, you know, at this point, the trade deadlines passed. Really, all you can do is just kind of eat the rest of the season. And if you, if you are of the mindset that you don't want Jeremy Grant on your basketball team, um, I guess maybe you hope that he doesn't pen the extension. You hope that he gets traded maybe on draft night. Maybe it's, you know, when free agency opens, open up some cash space, like whatever it is. I'm not really in any rush. And I said it in the post-trade deadline show where it's like, okay, yeah, you have him. You know, we were kind of – it was kind of leaning that way the whole time. You never really – you know, we always heard these reports that, you know, teams were checking in and that they were interested. But that's just GMs doing their due, dil- their due diligence, and that's just reporters reporting on conversations that may or may not have happened. So – I'm not that bummed about it. But then you look at Marvin Bagley. Ooh, Marvin Bagley. Now, admittedly, he was not the second most important Detroit Piston against the Boston Celtics or since he's gotten here. Um, But he's been a lot of fun. I know in the first game that he played here, he and Cade only shared the floor for two and a half minutes, which just kind of felt like the antithesis to why you got him in the first place. Like you went and got the – 
the the jumpy jump guy were to Lazarus Jackson for Cade, right? Like you got him this shiny new toy. Like maybe you got it because you also needed a little bit of a little bit of front court size. Maybe you got it for kill too. But it's like this is Cade's guy. This is essentially why you're making the personnel moves that you're making is to make a guy like Cade Cunningham better to give him a new weapon. And it's been fun. I mean, they had the, you know, they had the, what, the pick and roll lob last night. Like, that was pretty cool. I'm enjoying watching Bagley. He's a strong body. I've said that I've wanted to see him play back to the basket. I've said I've wanted to see him face up. And and for the most part, he's been doing that. Um, The one thing you didn't really want to see from him is, is him get relegated off into the corner and just, you know, shooting shit off the catch. And guess what? That really hasn't been what's gone on. And again, it's only been two games. I think it's 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 important to note that, dude, they have like a week off now. I don't think it's quite that long, but they have enough time off with this all-star break that I wonder if they're going to try to integrate him in even more sets and try to get him even more involved on offense, um, you know, build that chemistry up even more with the guys around him. So that'll be really fun. We're going to get to some more Cade stuff. Technically, intrinsically, it's Cade stuff in just a second. But I feel like we just need to talk about Sadiq a little bit. Because we've we've done it, I think, in the last few episodes, we've we've started to do a really good job over this last like month of of really recognizing how good Sadiq Bay has been. And the one thing that I had mentioned was like, I just don't know how to articulate how blown my mind is that he's turned into the, well, I don't want to call him a three level score, but like, it's weird that all of a sudden now Sadiq Bay can dribble out five, six, maybe seven seconds of the shot clock, and maybe not quite seven, five, six seconds of the shot clock, and then get a shot up. And you're like, okay, yeah, cool. Even if it rims out, it's like he's a high-volume guy at this point, right? Like he's got a little bit more in his bag, um, can, can can create a little bit more off the dribble, can actually can, can create for himself, where it's like last year, maybe you thought of him as this kind of like one-trick pony, still found his way onto the first-team all-rookie. And this year it's like, dude, if he wasn't in year two, he would probably be in the conversation for most improved. Now, I don't think he would win. I still think DeJounte Murray has that on lock. Um, and even before, you know, after him, there are, I, I, there are what, three, four, maybe five guys that, that could arguably be ahead of Sadiq Bey. I would say even if you want to talk about year two guys, I would say probably Desmond Bain um, would, would probably get the nod over Sadiq. But uh, he's been great this year. And, you know, what's funny is we – we as Pistons fans have, have continuously been like, I want to look at Sadiq Bay, and in a few years, a best case scenario is maybe he ends up being like Chris Middleton, right? That would be that would be ideal. That would be incredible. Well, I'm going to let everybody in on a little bit of a secret. That might be happening because for those of you who have followed Milwaukee's lore over the last few years, the one thing that's consistent is death, taxes, and Chris Middleton lighting up the Celtics. I don't want to alarm anyone. And I'm sure you all saw the tweets. I even saw a few posts on Reddit about it. Or comments, rather. Sadiq Bey, in his career, is shooting 70% from three against the Celtics. So, like, if the book on the Celtics is... How do I articulate this point? I'm just going to move past it. Sadiq Bey has been great. And everything that we've been getting out of him this year, um, even if, again, the people who believe that Jeremy Grant is, is, a, is a hindrance to um, what Sadiq Bey can do on the, on the basketball floor... It's also kind of weird because he's also technically been largely inefficient. And then it's just a conversation of like, well, does efficiency really matter in the NBA anymore? And like the answer is like, yes, it does. But I'm just, I'm just going to start confusing myself if I go down that rabbit hole. It's one of those conversations that I need James here for. 
James, if you're listening to this, I'm, we, we need to talk about a, a question that I have for about Sadiq the next time that we do this, this show. Um, I mentioned that we were going we were gonna to get to something. We we're going to talk a little bit more about Cade. And I said that he – sorry, any personnel moves that you're making right now, it's, it's probably so that you can give Cade something new so that you can maximize the effectiveness of Cade Cunningham on the basketball floor. I was talking to my brother about this the other night. Talking about the draft, which we haven't done a ton. We haven't done too much draft talk on this show. I feel like last year we had already kind of started to ramp it up a little bit. For some reason, we haven't really done that this year. I don't think it's a hot take. Um, James and I are both on board with Jabari Smith at number one. He's the guy. I think he's the clear consensus number one. Um, The conversation after that is about Paulo and it's about Chet. Um, And there are a myriad guys in this draft, too. We thought last year was good. This year is great. Jaden Ivey's the one that I would I would really like to have a conversation about because he's you know he's fluid um, he's a he's a pretty decent rebounder his three ball is not bad I think he's shooting like just a hair under forty percent this year averaging like seventeen points a game for Purdue um, like I said incredibly fluid I asked Twitter this the other day I said do you believe that he and Cade um, can play together and everybody said unequivocally yes I think that has to do with the aforementioned fluidity where it's like you can play these guys pretty much wherever you want. I wonder if if he becomes the ideal like what you envisioned Killian and Cade could be is that is that what Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham is? You know what I mean? And you can still bring Killian off the bench. It's not like I'm I I'm not forsaking Killian. I still love him more than anybody on this basketball team, but um and this this could be insane. I actually, I don't know. I genuinely don't know if this is a hot take, if this is a bad take. This is just something that I'm going I'm to float it out there. And if you guys get mad at me, then it's okay. Is there a case to be made that if you draft number two, no, you have to take Chet. You would have to do it. You wouldn't have – well, or Paulo. I was going to say, do you take Ivy? Is is he the guy that you want to be your number two? The, the thing about Chet – and and this is something that everyone's said this at one point or another. Everyone worries about the frame, but you don't question the efficiency. It's weird because you keep questioning his size, but damn, those are some pretty good results, right? When you're shooting like 90% around the rim, there's really only so much that you can say negative about him. And you can play the hypothetical game. I know that there are people who are even concerned about Mobley. But, like, that worked. But on that in that same vein, it's like, what about Poku, though? You know what I mean? What about him? We could go through the list of guys that just don't really have, like, Thon Maker. There's another guy who was just really tall but didn't have a ton of weight on him, and then he put on a little bit of weight, and then he was still not great. You know what I mean? And that's I'm not saying that Chet Holmgren, Chet Holmgren is, is Thon Maker. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying, like, is there – is there a conversation? Someone said this to me the other night. I won't name names, but they said, I, I think the bust potential for Chet is higher than the star potential. And then they and then I was the conversation shifted to I would rather pass and be wrong than draft him and be right. And I thought about that and I thought about that. And and where I arrived was I think what's gonna end up happening this year in the draft is if it comes down to what is Detroit prioritizing with this class? Are we focusing on who's the best fit for Cade 
or are we just picking whoever's best available? Because when you're picking that high, it, you have the luxury of really doing either. The odds are that the Pistons are going to have a top five pick, as, as of this recording at least. So the good news, you pick one through five, hell, there's a chance you fall to six, and this could still be true. Depending on how things shake out, this could still be true. The reality is that no matter who is available to you, they will both be the best available and likely also be the best fit for Cade. And I think the benefit that you have there is, I think that's kind of what Troy has already started to do, like we talked about earlier with Bagley, where it's like that felt like a, hey, we need another big, we need size, but also, wait a second, him and Cade might play really well together. I really hope that that's the approach because at this point you got your guy, like you got the guy, the guy. So now this is what Troy's talked about before where it's like anybody can spot LeBron. It's what's important is, is your ability to evaluate the talent to put around the guy that you were handed. Right. Also, can I, can I give off a take? Can I, I don't, I was ridiculed for this by somebody recently. I thought everybody agreed with this. And again, maybe it was just one person that didn't. If you think about if it's Troy Weaver, if it's Raphael Stone, if it's if it's Kobe Altman in Cleveland, like I don't credit them for drafting Cade and for drafting Jalen and for drafting Evan Mobley. A horse could have drafted them. There's nothing that's – like that's, that's what we were talking about. It's not that – I give Sam Presti a shit ton of credit for drafting Josh Giddy because that was a reach. That was a reach at the time. Josh Giddy wasn't supposed to go for like three to eight more picks. Like there was a case for him to not fall out of the lottery, but be middle of the lottery and go 11 to, I don't know who was it, like Indiana or something like that. Like I, when that got called, it was kind of like when Patrick Williams went forward to Chicago. We were like, really? Right there already? He's already getting picked? Okay. And guess what? That worked. Like you get credit for I, – I, you get credit for reaching, but when the dude just falls into your lap, then it's just kind of whatever. Again, I thought that this was just like, yeah, of course that's how it works. But I was told that it is not. Now just to move on a little bit more, and this is where people are going to roll their eyes. Again, this is going to be a super short episode. Today has been, today's been just an absolute whirlwind for me. I've been – I got to – Super long day, so I apologize, everyone. Um, going to a lot of Clipper games. Been going to a lot of Laker games. This is what James and I have talked about a few times. And I already know that some people are going to get mad, and they're going to be like, Nick, here he goes again. Here he goes again. He's he's doing his, his Sacramento Kings thing. He's doing the Bucks thing again. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not doing that, I promise promise but i got clipper fever i cannot stop going to clipper games i cannot stop watching the clippers i cannot stop consuming their games i love everything about it and do you want to know why it's because the way that they are constructed is exactly how i wish or rather i hope detroit ends up in just a few years we're like is your is your version of terrence Mann sadiq bay and damn he's good who's your version of amir coffee i don't think we have that guy yet Who's your, who's your Luke Kennard? Does that end up being Frank Jackson? Mm, I wouldn't really put them in the same paradigm, but for the sake of the principle, I think you kind of get it. Are we calling, like, the idea of, I don't know, is Hartenstein 
Oh, well, none of them, I guess, no, they don't really have a big that, like, stretches. Like, I don't really, I still don't understand why they traded Serge Ibaka. I know that he's old and he still hasn't been great, but as soon as he finally started to turn it around, that's when he got traded. And the argument there is like, well, yeah, because then he actually started to have value, so that's when you actually have the opportunity and the window to trade him. It still rubbed me the wrong way, though. And then, like, the way that they utilize Reggie, is the way that he always should have been. He's just a scoring guard, and that's it. That's the bottom of it. He's been a two his whole life. That's what he's always been, and Detroit was trying to use him as a one, and it, w- it would just never work. I think I think part of it is is because of the size that they have, and that's the one thing Troy's done, a, a, which is ironic because we actually have a decently sized roster except for in the positions where it actually matters. Well, I guess at this point now the guys are actually starting to get back and, and be a little bit healthy. But you know what I mean? Like for the largest part of the season, even Troy uh, was held himself accountable for it. He's like, we were lacking size in the front court, and that's on me. That's something that I should have addressed, and I wasn't able to do it. But that's why he traded for Bagley. So I think that's part of it. And I think that it's that same size that allows them to play um, a little bit more positionless the way that they have been for like these last two or three weeks. Additionally, I don't know that there's a more resilient team in basketball. I, w- I would say maybe Cleveland is up there because they've pulled off just as many ridiculous comebacks. I think they had the one uh, there was the um, I'm sorry, the, the Indiana one um, just a week ago that they had. I think they were down like 22 or something. Karras went back to Indiana and just torched them. Uh, but, but the Clippers it feels like every other night find themselves down by 15, 16, 17 points, and then you turn the game off, and then the next thing you know, like, they win. I was supposed to go to the Clips-Nuggets game a few weeks ago, and then I found out that the the Nuggets, I'm sorry, the Clippers had scored, like, 15 points at halftime, and I was like, wow, I'm really glad I didn't go to that game. And they ended up winning. And the Clippers won that game. Really all does come full circle. A lot of buzzwords in this, a lot of repeating myself. At the beginning of this, top of the show. We said it felt reminiscent of what we knew the Pistons have been when they beat the Celtics. Because last year it was it was Brooklyn. It was also is there the argument of what was a bigger win, the Boston win or the Milwaukee win is a tough one because the Milwaukee win was like you're playing the big three. The big three up to that point, I think, had only lost three games all year when they played together, if even that many. You haven't beaten them in, including the playoffs, what, 16 straight games or something ridiculous. It had been since 2017 since you had beaten Milwaukee. Um, so you get that monkey off your back. Wasn't it in Milwaukee? It might, I might be wrong on that. But um, just beating them was was a huge accomplishment. But, like, Boston was on a historic run. You know what I mean? So I think it's semantics, and I'm not going to debate what was the bigger win in, like, a 25-win season, if that – like, you know what I mean? I'm not really going to – I'm not going to do that. Um, but that's what Detroit has become is is this this resilient team who, you know, to like take the, the Dan Campbell approach. It's like if you knock us down, we're going to take a kneecap out on the way down, and then when we come back up, we're just going to take the other one, right? And I don't think that they've really played with that sort of aggression. They play a lot more clumsy than than really anything else, I feel like. I feel like maybe the best example of that was literally the final possession of, uh, I don't remember what quarter it was, when Hamadou has 13 on the clock and he dribbles coast to coast, doesn't pass once, and then throws up like a floater in the lane and doesn't hit the rim or hit the net, and then the buzzer just goes out, and it was like, 
Hamadou. Let's maybe make that extra pass. There was even the other one. I said, maybe clumsy isn't the word. Maybe it's oblivious. Maybe it's mindless. I don't. I don't really know what it is. It's it's this this lack of being locked in that is really disheartening from this Pistons team. And um, I forgot to make this point about Jaden Ivey earlier. Can I circle back for two seconds? You guys mind? Cool. I'm gonna go ahead and do that. The one thing that concerns me is like. I talk about how Sadiq, it's kind of cool that now he'll dribble out five or six seconds of the shot clock. I feel like any time I watch Jaden Ivey score, he's bled six or seven out of the clock first. So if you add that, and I've since retired on draft evals after my Josh Giddy takes have aged probably worse than anything that ever could have happened. I'm kind of hanging it up there. But I just wonder, is Jaden Ivey like literally too ball dominant? That is my only concern. That's the only thing that I've kind of been like, eh. Um, so that was that. That's what I. That's all I meant to mention earlier. Um, I also don't think I've said anything bad about Cade yet this year. So I'm gonna let me do that real quick. Give him a little something. Um, his lately, his inability to defend without fouling has been has been tough because I'd like to watch him play for more than 30 seconds into a game and Casey have to yank him. That's been really difficult. Um, some of it might just be. Is he hitting the rookie wall? Like, is he literally just tired? I, this is around the time that players would, would start to do it anyways. Last year we didn't see it with uh, with Sadiq and Isaiah. Um, I, what, I, what did Casey say about that? I think he cited, like, well, it's because of COVID and these guys can't do anything anyways, so they're just always in the gym and always training and, like, they're always just staying healthy. So, it's, you know, so, is it really different that year? It's not. Well, that must not have been what Casey said. I don't really remember what it was. Um so, yeah, is, is that what it's going to be with Cade? I don't really know that the play would indicate that outside of the fouls themselves um, because he's still a, a complete bucket. But uh, that's definitely been something on my itinerary of things that I wish he would stop doing. On that same note, though, I actually I texted this to James um, close to a week ago, a tweet from Andy Bailey. Now, it, I hate when people read numbers. If it's not in front of me, I can't follow it. So I apologize if you're the same as me. I'm going to assume that some people are – a little bit more smarter than a little bit, a little bit more smarter, a little bit more smart than I am. Uh, Andy Bailey, when Kate Cunningham plays with Killian Hayes, 619 minutes, he's averaging 25 and three per 75 possessions on 43% shooting, 40% from three. When Cade Cunningham plays without Killian Hayes, 623 minutes, so Cade has played without Kill more than he's played with him. 15 points, six assists, and. Sorry, that's per 75, and he's shooting 35%, so he's shooting a lot worse. So essentially it just comes down to, okay, so Killian and Cade need to actually play together. Does that actually mean that Cade is an off guard and we were wrong the entire time and that Killian does need to have the ball in his hands the entire time? But also I feel like it was a little bit overblown in the offseason that people thought that because Killian was starting at the one, that that meant that Cade was going to be sent off to the corner. And maybe sometimes that's been true here and there. But for the most part, I think they've actually done – Dwayne Casey's done a pretty good job – of uh, divvying up the ball handling responsibilities, and I, I don't really think that that has been an issue. Additionally, since Killian has moved to the bench, I think that there's just been a, a much more almost palpable sense of maybe not confidence, but maybe comfortability from him where it's maybe feels a little bit easier for him to ease into these games. Sometimes it's still a little bit tough, and sometimes he still makes those plays where you're like, I don't know, man. I don't know, man. But if I had to say anything that I know for a fact I believe, I know I know this is true. I know it in my heart to be true. 
Isaiah Stewart, when he tries to throw some shit up with his right hand around the rim, it's funny because I think I've made this point before. The further away he is from the basket when he puts a shot up, the more I believe it's going in. And the closer he is, the less I believe it. And it has nothing to do with his ability to score because this is something that James pointed out uh, in a tweet last night against the Celtics. He really does have one of these softer touches from a big that we have Pistons fans, that we as Pistons fans have seen uh, in a considerably long time. Like the way that it goes up there, it's just like a little pillow. It just floats around on the rim for a little bit. Those shots always take forever to come down. Those Isaiah Stewart little jump hooks in the lane when he's like flailing his elbows all over the place, they take forever to come down. They bounce around about six times before they actually go in or rim out or whatever it is. Um, it was a few, it was what, about a week ago? It was a few games ago where he opened the game by hitting two consecutive jumpers. It's something that we know he has. It's just a matter of is Dwayne Casey going to let him take them? Is he confident taking them? Is he actually going to be set up to take them? Is it going to be a matter of opportunity and he just has to go, oh shit, I have the ball 18 feet away from the basket and no one's within five feet of me. I might as well put this up. Like that's always really fun, especially because, again, defenses leave him open. They apparently forget that he can actually hit those shots but when he's around the rim when he's within five feet it's like he just flails like he's just all over the place and listen man it works Thomas Bryant does the same thing and it works dude but I wish also you know you want to talk about flailing around I wish if another not it's not a grievance I just wish Cade I don't I don't know if he's not getting whistles or if it's more that he's just not drawing contact because he's definitely getting hit but the game that he had, he, he had the 30 piece. Was it 31? Was it 34? I don't think he shot a free throw, did he? I don't know. I think that's, it was the game against Denver when it was, I'm pretty sure it was the same game that he crossed Jokic. Pretty sure he didn't shoot a free throw in that game, which is honestly just a testament to how gifted of a scorer he is that he doesn't actually need the free throw line to score 34 points because I would say, and I'm not going to name names with NBA stars, but there are a lot of guys who in order to get to 34, they got to shoot, you know, seven, eight free throws, if not more. So um, excited to see Cade win the skills comp. Uh, everybody prepare for that. Remember to play it cool. Act like we were expecting it. I'm just kidding. Lose your minds. Everybody needs to lose their minds if Cade wins the skills challenge. Uh, all right, folks, we're going to wrap it up there I get, with 30 good minutes of the Bunny Cardigan show. Um, again, well, 30 minutes of it. I'm, I'm not going to add any adjectives in there. But thank you very much, everybody, if you made it this far. I'm sorry if you made it this far. Um, we appreciate you all very, very much. I promise James and I will be back for the next episode. If you made it this far, thank you very, very much for listening. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate five stars, leave a review, subscribe if you're feeling generous. We will catch you guys in the next one.